0: Old Men on Campus with Jay Billis, Lofonzo Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Old Men on Campus. I'm Seth Greenberg, joined by uh, Tiger Billis, who just came back from a big-time golf tournament in Tahoe. Now, Jay, give us just the inside. First of all, give me the, the highlight, the low light, and the funniest thing you saw this past weekend in Tahoe.
1: Uh, it, well, I played in, in Lake Tahoe at this American century, uh, golf tournament, the celebrity golf tournament. And the, the, I think I qualify as a golfer. I'm not sure I qualify as a celebrity, honestly, but, um, it was, it was a blast because one, the people are so nice. Uh, the folks from American century are, couldn't be nicer from Jonathan Thomas, the CEO on down. Uh, so it's, it's just a beautiful setting. The weather was in the seventies every day. You couldn't break a sweat if you tried. And hanging out with my buddy Harlan Prater, my caddy, and uh, oh. and my wife Wendy was there. Uh, and so, for me, it's hard, Seth, to not to be a fanboy, you know, with all these you know big time athletes and and uh, entertainers and all that stuff, you're you're kind of uh, having to keep from saying, "Hey, can we get a picture?" Um, <laughs> you know I, I have to I have to check myself to make sure I don't do that, but the the funniest thing that happened, I don't know if people would find this funny, but it's funny for me. So my wife, you know, Wendy really well. So she was really excited that, that people like, um, Colin Jost and miles teller were going to be there and she might get a glimpse of them. Not, not necessarily meet them, but just get to see them. And, uh, so, so she, her flight got canceled and so she was late getting there, so she didn't get in until like the, the, the first night at like 1030 and we were at the hotel bar and uh, and I had texted her during the day, uh, you know, joking around with her saying, you know, this is really getting embarrassing. Like, I can't get away from Colin Jost. Like, I, you know, the guy won't leave me alone. And just, you know, just jerking her around. And so when she got to the bar, I was down there with my buddy Harlan and, and his, his girlfriend, Ann. And when um, when Wendy came up to the bar, she had just gotten out of an Uber and she walks up and and I'm standing there talking with colin jost who had who had come over and and got a chance to meet him. And I'm you know, I'm like going, "Oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking to Colin Jost. This is unbelievable." and so i I played it really cool when Wendy come up and said, "Hey, Wendy, um meet colin." and uh, And she's like, "You're kidding me." and we we were laughing our our tails off at that one. And the last night we were there, we were having dinner at this Edgewood Tahoe Resort, which is spectacular. And Miles Teller walks by. You know, I mean, played played Rooster in Top Gun Maverick now. And um, you know, one of the biggest stars in in Hollywood. And and we had played a couple years ago in this same event, and I didn't think he'd even remember my name. And he stops at our table to say hello. And uh and I thought Wendy was gonna was gonna, you know uh soil herself she was so excited and it was really really fun and i was more excited than she was honestly and i tried i played it as cool as i could i didn't do a very good job of it but you know you're walking around aaron Rodgers is there and all these different people and it's it, it's it's really fun um and uh i didn't like i didn't shank one i didn't i hit a, i hit some bad shots here and there uh, but, but the best part was I held myself together without making a fool of myself. I did not hit a spectator and, uh, and played halfway decent, but just, it was so, it was so much fun. I mean, there's nothing better than, than playing golf at a nice place with nice people. The three footers, the
0: ones you just kind of rake in, how'd we do?
1: Way better. I didn't miss, I honestly, Seth, I didn't miss very, I might've missed one like four footer, um, but I putted pretty well and I didn't, I didn't like, uh, I didn't blow any of those. Um, so that was, that was pretty good. And I chipped halfway decent. Um, it's hard for me to get distances down with some of the altitude, but, um, but I, I kept it together for me. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a decent golfer. I can get it airborne. I'm like, like five handicap and I played, I played halfway decent. I could have been better, but, but it could have been worse. Like you gotta acknowledge it could have been worse too.
0: Who was, who was the golfer that you saw that you said, you know what, I can't believe this guy's good. Like, 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 the, like a guy you would perceive as not athletic and then all
1: of a sudden that guy was like really a good golfer. Um, I don't know that there was anybody like that because they're, they're basically all athletes. Um, there, was, um, there, were, there are so many guys there that you're going, I can't believe how far these guys hit the ball. Like Marty Fish, the tennis player, um, mm-hmm. hits the ball a mile. Like these guys bomb it. And, uh, and so, you know, you have to not pay attention to that because if you're trying to keep up with that, it's just going to be a problem. You just have to play your own game. And uh, the, one of the funny things was, so, you know, when like when you and I are playing somewhere, we're trying to play fast and, and get around. And in this thing, you got to be careful not to speed up. And, uh, because it's a, it's a four and a half, five hour round because it's competitive, everybody's putting everything out. And so I have to keep telling myself slow down. So I, I walked slower. I got into my routine more slowly. I tried to sort of modify the way I normally play when I'm playing with my buddies. And so Kevin Millar, uh, who's with the the baseball channel, MLB uh, who played in the major leagues for, you know, a dozen years or so I played with him twice and he is a blast, just a joy. And so one night after, after we played the first day of this tournament, uh, I saw he was with, uh, Mike Vrabel and, uh, and a couple of the guys, uh, Brett bear s- sitting in the, near the bar, of the hotel. And when and I walked by and Malar shouts out at me, Oh. The bill is saunter. He, he said, he said, I don't walk the course. I saunter. And he got up and started mimicking me and I couldn't stop laughing. I mean, it was hilarious. And he was right. Like I was, I was like sauntering around the golf course. Cause I, I was trying to keep my stuff together. And, uh, and then he was saying, he just, he just got up the ball as quick as he could and, and hacked at it as hard as he could and said, where did it go? And he's a really good golfer. He was just joking around, but um, but uh, he was right. Like I, I was sauntering out there. So, um, but it was, it was really fun. Like nobody takes themselves too seriously, like the top guys, you know, Romo and Madano and all those guys that they're, they're, they're there to win the tournament, you know, guys like me, I'm, I'm just trying to enjoy myself and, and keep it together for three days and and not, not do anything stupid, but it, it is, you, you have not, not that you need to be reminded of this, but. Um, it, it it really does give you greater respect for what these tour pros and uh, do every day where every, every shot counts and you got to concentrate, like you're exhausted after these rounds because you're concentrating for five hours, uh, and, and trying not to make a mistake. You know, you're trying to hit a good shot, but you're also trying not to make a mistake. And the one thing I, the one thing I learned, I wish I had heard this earlier, I think it was John Lester's caddy told him on a birdie putt. He, he told him right before he stepped up to the ball, he said, aggressive on the birdies, conservative on the pars and uh, uh, par putts um, because it was a Stableford system. So you got more points for a birdie. You know, you got three points for a birdie, one point for a par and zero for a uh, it was zero for mm-hmm. a bogey and a doubles minus two. So you make a double, man, you are you're moving backwards and it's hard to make that up. And I started thinking about it, man, you know, I was really conservative on my birdie putts because I didn't want to leave myself a five or six footer, like blow it by and then have a fight and then make bogey and, and not get a point. But I started thinking about it going, man, it's better. You know, you got to go for those birdies because the, those, you know, shoot you up, you know, bogey doesn't hurt you. So, so be more aggressive. And that, that really, uh, I wish I had heard that on day one. I had never heard anybody say that in that tournament before, and and uh, and for the few holes that were left when I heard it, it actually helped me. Who were you playing partners? I played the first day with Catherine Tappan from NBC Sports, who was just a joy. She's just so wonderful, uh, and and played uh, played with Brett Bear a couple times, who's a, a great guy. I, I've known him from playing golf earlier. Uh, with Fox, and then uh, played with uh, Kevin Millar twice. Um, you know, the first day it seems like uh, like I get paired often with uh, with other broadcasters, um, and then uh, you know I don't get paired with basketball players because it's been so long since I've been one. And there may be an argument that when I was one, I wasn't really <laughs> one. Um, and then then they pair you based upon uh, largely based upon score, unless you're Justin Timberlake or somebody that that's a, it's a TV pairing. And, uh, and then, uh, I played with, uh, with John Lester as well, who is, uh, is awesome. Every time Lester is a very good golfer and uh, lefty and, and another guy who, you know, he hits an iron as far as we hit a flush three with it's ridiculous how far he hits the ball. And, uh, and if he three putted or, you know, when he made a bogey or whatever, he would walk to the next tee and go, I love golf. I love golf. I love, <laughs> golf. I love golf. And uh, I, we, I was just laughing the whole time. Like these guys were so much fun to play with and, uh, and just, uh, it, it was really a, uh, joyful three days for me to play.
0: Any entertainment? Uh, did you get, did you get a chance to do your comedy act on, on the stage or no?
1: No, they did have, um, like a karaoke thing. Uh, where, you know, they had, they had a lot of entertainment there and, uh, and people got up and, and, uh, Dylan Dreyer got up and, uh uh did a song and brett bear did rappers delight and tailored it for the tournament and uh he was saying he was saying he was doing his show the night before and and in between he's writing this you know writing lyrics to rapper's delight which kind of you know makes you laugh that fox you know fox news anchor is doing <laughs> doing rappers delight um and so that was fun and uh and travis kelsey of the the Kansas City Chiefs wound up wound up winning the karaoke night. He was he was fantastic. Uh, Alfonso Ribeiro got up and you know it's almost unfair when the the real entertainers get up there, but uh, but Travis Kelsey wound up winning the thing. He was he was great. So is, it, is this
0: the warm up for well what, what's what's next on tour? I mean I mean this is tour season for you. I know that. I mean you know. well I
1: just found out I just found out I got a phone call a few minutes ago from. Uh, uh, Buddy of mine named Brandon Greer, who's in the leadership at uh, Charlotte Country Club. Um, I am. I have to pick the menu for the champions dinner at the annual member member because uh, my partner Alan Hobbs and I won the uh, Charlotte Country Club member member last year. So I, I wow. may need your advice. I may need your advice on uh, on my on guilty the menu. <laughs> yeah i may need some <laughs> menu advice on on what to do so i've never i've never had a champion's dinner invitation let alone a champion's dinner the responsibility of choosing the menu for the champion's dinner
0: if i chose the menu you know, the first thing after i chose that what would be on the menu I'd like, i can't believe i ordered that <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah i can't believe i'm eating this i can't believe i planned this your your eating guilt would come out
0: before we move on ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning Omaha Productions, presents Always College Football with ESPN College Football Analyst Greg McElroy. With off-season being a thing of the past, Greg McElroy goes year-round with analysis, opinions, and insights on the top teams under the radar stories from coast to coast. That's Always College Football. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And he was the face of the New York Yankees and the most admired player in baseball. The captain tells the story of Derek Judas' life and Hall of Fame career. Catch episodes one at 10 p.m. Eastern, following the conclusion of the Home Run Derby on ESPN and streaming on ESPN Plus. So while you were sauntering around, uh, you know, the other half of Nevada, I was at the summer league, Seeing all the guys you talked about on the, on the draft, and I, you know what the amazing things, Jay? It's kind of almost disheartening a little bit. The summer league is like the starting point. You know, the summer league is just you know, quite honestly, getting guys to understand the NBA rules, to understand terminology. Uh, you know, get a chance for the coaching staff and and the maybe some other players to to get to know the the top draft choices. You're playing against ninety percent of the guys you're playing against are not going to play in the NBA next year. They'll play somewhere, but they're not going to play in the NBA next year. And it is amazing how critical people are of like Jamari Smith didn't shoot the ball well in the first game. And like people were losing their minds. <clears throat> or like uh, Jaden Ivey was, was really dynamic in the second game. And like, you know, it was, oh, here yeah, he's going to be an all star. Instead of like just giving these guys a chance to just settle in, now, I thought Jamari Smith had the whole. I was only there for three days, but I saw the the first day. So I was there for four days of of competition. Uh, But you know know what the summer league's turned into? It's turned into basically grassroots basketball on steroids, Augusta style, like EYBL. Everyone in the basketball world, you got players, you got coaches, you got general managers, you got all the international scouts looking to fill their rosters. Uh, You've got USA Basketball. <clears throat> so you have current NBA players that come in and support their teams. Uh, you've got former players uh, that come and just kind of take in the ambiance. To me, the whole atmosphere reminded me of Peach Jam on steroids. I mean, it, and, and it's fun. It's great. I got sat for a half with Jerry West. It was. It was. It was. I like, had a blast just talking ball with him. But it, it, it was different. It was. It was different. And. Uh, but it, it, And the other thing is just how young the league is. You see the veteran players? They're not veterans.
1: Was it different, Seth? I'm sorry to interrupt. Was yeah. it different from past years?
0: It was even younger. The league is even younger. Yeah. Like the players that co- come back and you look at it, and they're, they're all early 20s. You know, you're like, you know, Kyrie showed up. He was probably the oldest guy that showed up. <clears throat> I mean, it, it's all the, the young, talented NBA players. Uh, all sitting in the first row. Warren, Warren and Albert all do a great job. Put them all in the first row. You got the owners. You got the coaches. I mean, it's a very relaxed. But for the coaches, it's great. Like, and we sat and talked to Billy Donovan on air, and they were getting beat by a hundred. Their their team was their, their summer league team. Only had Dale and Terry, who was nice, didn't shoot a great, but was good. Uh, but you know, those guys are. It's it's the best time of the year for them. You know, it's the you know they, they're watching the games. They had some meetings. They're talking about you know, obviously the. The ownership uh, and the NBA office came up with the, uh, the foul, the advanced foul rule where it's going to be one one free throw on the ball. But uh, it's a great environment and it's a great environment to just sit down and talk ball with a large group of, of different levels of, of, of the game of basketball. I mean, like you know, Mark Few came, so we we sat down with him on air, and then I had a chance to visit with him after, talking about you know Drew Timmy, and uh, you know there were a bunch of college coaches there because they were just shot over from the AAU event in Las Vegas. But I mean, you know, you're sitting there, and uh, it, it, it it it's fun, but it's uh, it it bothers me that that the, how critical people are when it, they're basically exhibition games. You're guaranteed five games, the two best records play for the championship everyone gets a fifth game uh it's more about having those players learn about who they are and what they can do at the next level what their role might be at the next level than winning games and, and that was the that was obviously the message from all the coaches that you know we visited with but it it, it was it, it's fun I mean it's a fun where, where was this
1: where was the hair on fire criticism coming from? Was it social media stuff that you social were saying? Yeah,
0: I mean, people just so unrealistic. Of you know, Jamar like like the the, the one thing we know, Jamar Smith's gonna make shots. I mean, he's got now he's got to get it off a little quicker. He's got to be play a little bit lower to the ground. But I mean, Paul Van Carroll, I had a great visit with Paul Van Carroll's mom. What a nice what a nice woman she was. I, I was walking back to the hotel, and uh walked in the hotel, and she came over to me, and she she came over and. You know, obviously was lying to her teeth and said, "You know, I really appreciate all the things you say about my son and this and that. <laughs> gave me, she gave she gave me a big hug. I mean, it was great. I mean she was she was we we talked for thirty minutes. I mean, she was delightful. taking getting my flight back home. Mark Williams' dad was a doctor. Um, he was on his way back uh, his partner uh, got sick and 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 he left a little bit early, and we sat, you know at the airport uh, talking, and you know, I joked with him, I said, you know, Kay's lucky. If I was still at Virginia Tech, Mark would have been Virginia Tech with me, because you never know, Coach. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's fun seeing just, you know, seeing the parents, seeing the players, seeing, uh, you know, how, they, the, how enthusiastic the players on the rosters, the veteran players are in terms of welcoming uh, these rookies in uh, to their first NBA experience. Uh, I thought those things were fascinating, and then the, the conversation all week long was, you know, I got out of it before Donovan Mitchell blew up, but you know, Kyrie, you know, obviously Kevin Durant, uh, you know, how how are uh, our teams going to, you know, Minnesota going to play with two bigs? But it, 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 it's a fun, it's a fun couple of days. Three days is perfect. Like I'm not a big yeah. Vegas fan because you know I have terrible memories of playing Tark's team, so I like I walk into Vegas I start shaking a little bit. Uh, you know, just trying to you know get out of there without you know losing by a hundred. But uh, three days is perfect. Six games, three days. Visit with people, had a couple of good meals. It, it it was good. But it really is a, it's a fascinating uh, watch. Like in terms of people watching and and just it just reminded me so much of going into Peach Jam or or the Nationals in Orlando with all the meetings of the basketball world. Coming together, and uh, it, you know, it's and it's fun to watch on TV. The games aren't overly competitive, but it's fun to watch on TV. Well,
1: let me ask you. Let me ask you two questions. So, one um, on on the development part. So, do, do you think the players, when you mentioned the, the the criticism of social media, like people overreacting to positive or negative? Do you think today's player? Uh, pays attention to that and it it it's a negative for them or or because of the way they've been brought up in social media, they're able to dismiss that and just concentrate on what's important?
0: I think it's a negative because it's like coaches who say, I don't read the newspaper. We all read newspaper. You know <laughs> what I mean? And it's coaches who say, no, I don't listen to stuff. So I don't listen, back in the day, I don't listen to talk radio. Everyone listens to talk radio. Uh, I think it's... Um, like in talking with the the Rockets, uh, it was interesting. He said, he actually said, you know, I, I wanted Jabari to know, man, he's guard, he can really guard. I mean, it's ridiculous how he moves his feet. He can sit in a stance and really guard. He rebounded the ball. The ball moves, doesn't get stuck in his hand. You know, like he kind of said, I sat with Jabari after the game. I said, I was really happy with the way he played. Right? Making shots is the least bit of my worry with, with Jabari. Now he's got to get to a spot. He's got to know where the shots come from. But yeah, so I think there's some band aids that, uh, you know, that the general managers and personnel guys probably put their arm around these guys a little bit and spent time with them. Dwayne Casey, you know, uh, you know, talk with him. He ran all the practices. I spent a bunch of time with Dwayne uh, with that summer league team up until the games. Because he wanted to get a chance to spend time with Jay Nye. Ivy. He wanted to get a chance to, you know, kind of develop those relationships. And, and then you see all the coaches sitting with their current teams. But yeah, I, I think that I don't think they're overwhelmed by the negativity, but I do think they hear the static. Um which is I, I don't know, it's all human nature. I don't think they're searching it out, but they hear it, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. It's all yeah, and that that I'm not sure how I feel about that stuff because it is this is big boy school now and uh and you're going to hear that stuff, but but you're right, like there's no there's no reason for people to overreact to a positive or negative from the summer league. It is a, it may be an indicator and it's, it's certainly, Hey, they're putting it on TV. People are going to react to it. Yeah. But the, the other part, when you mentioned Durant and Kyrie and Donovan Mitchell, you know, Mitchell may be a little bit of a different case because he's not asking out necessarily, at least from, from my seat, I haven't heard that. But for, for guys like Durant and, and Kyrie, if the, if this is true, that that they are requesting a trade and if you will trying to force their way out i heard adam silver at a press conference a couple days ago maybe saying that you know essentially that you know they signed contracts and and it, it it sounded like he was implying that it's unhealthy for the league uh for for this kind of thing to be happening in your view how, how do you process a player under contract, you know, that signs, let, let's go with Durant and Kyrie and, and assuming, and I'm assuming here, cause I don't know all the ins and outs of it. Like you do having been there and been immersed in it, but if they're asking their way out uh, of a contract and trying to force a trade or any player trying to do that, how, how do you view that?
0: Well, here's the thing. I mean, the organization uh, and the player decide on a contract. I mean, you, you know, the legality of it. And, and the contract is supposed to be mutually uh, beneficial for both. Obviously the amount of money, the person's getting paid in relation to what he brings to the organization. So like if the ownership ownership uh, and especially a guy like Kevin Durant probably has a clause in his contract that says where he can go, if they decide to trade him and there'd be stipulations. I don't know if there were stipulations in his contract that said, if he asks out what, the, what, what the situation might, my, my take is real simple. If I'm the Nets, Unless I get exactly what I want, I'm not making a trade. We, 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 we went into an agreement. We have a contract. We went into an agreement. And, uh, you know, if you want to sit, that, that's fine. But I, I think that, you know, in, in my, my, my mind, the Nets need to get a similar type talent and draft choices that will give you an opportunity to get a similar type talent. Because here's the deal. Like everyone says, well, you're going to get draft choices, collect draft choices. You don't know what you're going to get in a draft. It's like you know, my brother used to say in NBA trade, you always know what you're getting rid of, you never know what you get. In the end, you know, those draft choices in the 20s and the 15s and 20s, you might get a good player and you might get an if. That's Kevin Durant. So, like, to me, if I'm if I'm the Nets, all right, unless I get exactly what I want, I can't move on from Kevin Durant. We made a commitment to him. We paid him $40 million in a season he didn't even play. So, I mean, uh, you know, to me, I, if I'm in Nets ownership and personnel, I said, you know what, we'll, we'll try to find a deal that, that works for both of us, but we're not going to find a deal that doesn't work for us, and we have a contract. And you young Kyrie's situation, you know, has Kyrie asked out or is it just expected uh, that, that Kyrie and KD are, are packaged deal? Here? Because here's the deal. Supposedly, I mean, and I don't know any of this stuff, that Katie was upset that Kyrie wasn't offered a max deal. Well, no organization in the right mind is going to offer Kyrie a max deal not because of his talent, but because obviously his lack of availability and he's got to prove like any other business, he's got to prove people can count on him. So I mean it, I think it's a complicated matter. Uh, I mean, the big the big rumor was that Kyrie's going to the to the Lakers for Russell Westbrook. You know, I mean that would they they would be able to match numbers. I think it would probably be a win for the Lakers. uh, You know, both on one-year contracts, so uh, you know you you get salary cap money if if you're the Nets on the other on the other end. But it it is fascinating. I just think if if you if you enter into an agreement and you know contracts a lot better than I do, Jay, you enter an agreement. Most most agreements are in in a perfect world are made to be ideally a win-win situation. It's good for the player. It's good for your organization. You know, we're getting in the NBA where the players basically are trying to create these these super teams and and basically forcing the hand of ownership. If you were a GM and you had opportunities to be GM, how would you handle the
1: situation? I don't know uh, because you have sort of the like we're talking about. You have the contract situation and how uh, everyone should behave relative to to the contract signed and um, and the conditions of the contract. But at the same time, if if you've got a player, and let's take Durant and Irving out of it, just talk generally about it. If you've got a player that wants out and is trying to force his way out, uh, if you decide to keep him, you have an unhappy player that could lead to a negative result for your team. And is it better to just move on? Now, when you have somebody of, of Durant's talent, and again, I'm not saying Durant, I don't know all of the particulars right. of it, but one of the things I've been thinking about in, in, you know, the past several days after watching some of the summer league and listening to you and, and others is, you know, in a way, a lot of this has been good for the league. I mean, I, I the NFL offseason uh, there, there's yes. constant talk about the NFL 12 and, and over the last several years, there's been a lot more offseason talk about the NBA than I can remember in past years. So maybe overall, you could argue that this is a good thing. I'm not sure it's a good thing for the individual teams that are going through it. Um, but 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 there there's an argument that that some of this might be a good thing. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with the player empowerment part of it, because I, I really do believe this, that. The overwhelming majority of players in the NBA are true professionals. You know, they work incredibly hard. Um, You know, they they do, everybody's got an individual component of this, that they're trying to get the most out of what they do and their number. I I get all that stuff. But I I think the overwhelming majority um, have have it together and are doing things what we would consider, you know, as as the old men, the, the right way so i'm i i think i think most of it is great um you know you do get uh a little bit maybe my old school brain gets a little bit annoyed by um some of the uh what's the right way to term this some of the stuff where like when player empowerment seems to go a little bit too far at times which it can um you get a little bit annoyed by that but it but it's never gotten to the point Seth where it's turned me off like i I think we in college the college game could learn a lot from the way the NBA does things. um whether it's rules or some of these other things that the league does uh, that that we don't do, we're slower to do uh, because of tradition. I heard something the other day that I thought was really, really good about tradition and And someone said tradition is only useful. It was said in golf because of the the open championship right now at at St. Andrews. It was said tradition is only useful when it's relevant to the present and and i thought man that that's pretty good that the way things have always been done is great as long as it's relevant to the present and you you can't just do something the way we've always done it because that's the way we've always done it and i think there's an element of that in college and i don't mean that necessarily in a negative way but but uh, that really made an impact on me hearing that, you know, the tradition is only useful if it's relevant to the present. And uh, and I, I think we could do a better job in college. Uh, you know, we're seeing that now in the realignment stuff where I mean, you can't take anything we're being told at face value. When, when some of these leagues are saying now you're hearing the SEC or the Big Ten uh, uh, ADs are saying, well, you know we're comfortable where we are. We're not going to make any moves and things like that. You're going really. You're not going to make it really. Like they are. And Everyone's going to do what's
0: in their best interest.
1: Yes, they their yeah, market every, it's, it's
0: like scheduling. Everyone's going to do 100% what's in their best interest. Uh, you know, it's like the the Pac-12 is trying to survive. The Big 12 is trying to survive. You know, who knows what's going to happen? But it's going to something's going to happen there. The ACC is going to try to survive. Hey, if I'm the Big East, I, I, I'm sitting here, worrying. I thought about this the other day. If I'm the ACC, what stops me from saying, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to get Georgetown in the Maryland market. I'm going to get Villanova in the Philadelphia market. I'm going I'm to actually have uh, four or five non-football playing schools. They're not going to get a full piece of the pie, but they're going to get a, lar- a larger percentage they can get anywhere else and rebrand our league. It's going to fit our geographic footprint, and it's going to make us bigger and stronger. Like what? What? Like what? What stops? What stops the ACC say, I want the New York market? I'm going to get UConn. I'm, I'm. I want the Philadelphia market. I'm going to get Villanova, which is a great brand. All right, we lost Maryland. We can take Georgetown. And you know what? They're not going to play football. That's all right. We will negotiate a, 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 an addition. They're going to bring value to our our league, and and uh, they're going to make more money there than they would staying where they are. I mean, I mean, that's great yeah, yeah. Th-
1: and that's a great call that is the outside the box thinking that I think we may need in in college basketball and But there was something that that was reported the other day that really caught my attention it was it was Greg Sankey of the SEC was reported, and I don't know if this is true because it doesn't sound like Sankey to me, but reported that that he had floated an idea about um no more automatic bids for the ncaa tournament and and which prompted the 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 thought that you know the big shots could determine you know the big conferences could could determine the tournament and maybe a new tournament if if we touched the ncaa tournament we being the college game touched the ncaa tournament and changed it how would you feel about that
0: uh i think it's gonna happen I think what's great, Sankey threw out there. I think that if you're those, I, I mean, obviously we all love the Cinderella stories. We all love, look, I was at Long Beach State, which was a one mid-league. I've coached in one of leagues. So it gives you something to shoot for during the course of your season. Maybe there'll be a off, But if I'm these next, I think they're going to end up with four or five conferences. That's my gut feeling. And I, I, I think if the money that's being generated basically is coming from those four or five conferences, uh, first of all, they're going to be making the rules. Uh, but more importantly, do you want to guarantee a piece of the pie to someone that is not one of the sixty-eight best teams? Maybe we we short. You know, maybe it becomes a thirty-two team tournament if you have these 100, 100 teams. I think that's I think that's the next move. I really do. I I, I don't think I'd be crazy about it because I do like the the uniqueness of the Hoosiers aspect of the NCAA tournament in a lot of ways. But I do think that's going to happen. I think, Sankey, whether he was throwing that out there to see what the response would be, I think that's going to happen uh, in the next five years. I really do.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about that one. Because, I, I, I mean, I love the idea of Loyal to Chicago yeah. making a Final Four or St. Peter's making an Elite Eight. Um, that, that, that adds a, a special dimension to the tournament. But at the same time, it is a national championship event and, uh, and having the best teams in it really, uh, moves me. Um, I don't, I don't buy the idea that people won't watch it or it'll lose its magic or something. If it's changed, I don't buy that for one second. I think there can be a lot of things that we can do to enhance, uh, the, the title event, you know, it doesn't have to be 68 teams. It it can be a different format um but you know how many is too many um as far as as teams in division one uh i i think it would really improve the game if if there were a division Uh, it doesn't have have to be called division one as we know it now but if there were a a a super division where all the best players want to play on that level and you're spreading uh, and i think we've talked about this before you're spreading that same amount of talent out over fewer units so you have deeper teams better teams uh does does it mean there's going to be separation yes but i believe there's separation now and the fact that we have what i would call outliers in a saint peter's or a Loyola chicago or some that that rise up and do something do something we could not have predicted in the tournament um, is that what is that what makes it special or is it the fact that that there's a championship on the line that makes it special. I, I think it's a combination of things. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. I think we're gonna see change in the future and it's going to be driven by money uh, and all of the rhetoric that we hear um, it may be hey, there may be truth to it, but it is not the driving force. like I do not think the Big Ten nor the SEC nor all these other conferences are done. they are they are going to continue to make moves as we go forward and and schools. Like USC and UCLA, I don't know if we've talked about this. I'm still, I, I'm, I'm in Los Angeles right now and grew up here. And I still don't know how I feel about SC and UCLA in the Big Ten. Um, it, it's going to be a – that, that's a change that it, it's almost like, you know, a, 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 an American League team all of a sudden playing in the National League. I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around so that. So how,
0: how, how would you feel about North Carolina uh, in the Big Ten or or Clemson, Florida State, and Miami in the SEC? Because, I mean, uh, Virginia and North Carolina in the Big Ten, what where, where happens to do – I mean, there's so many, like, to me, I think the ACC – has got to find a model there's there's the acc has i i I believe survives realignment as a third player uh in in realignment Uh, how they do that like you know like i said i i actually i messed around with it the other day i had a model where the acc could make itself significantly better uh, you know, it could be, you know, obviously, and I and I have a model that can make the Pac-12 significantly better and and make it more attractive uh by adding teams that just play basketball and they're non-revenue sports, uh, and giving those those schools um a larger chunk of money that they would have gotten if they stand by themselves.
1: That that's really the issue is is how much. So if you're looking at uh, the numbers that have been thrown out and who knows, you know, I don't know exactly what they're gonna be with the big 10, but hundred million dollars per school per year. Right. So if you're looking at a 100, if you're North Carolina, just for example, and again, there's, there's nothing that I know of that's imminent right. with that, but it seems that it was one of the chess pieces that, that could be moving and valuable in the future. Doesn't mean it's gonna happen, but it could. Uh, so say just for argument's sake, North Carolina has an invitation to the Big Ten or asked to, to go into the Big Ten. And the decision is, do we take $100 million or, or an enhanced, you know, this enhanced ACC that could mean just throw out a number, 50. Hundreds more than 50. And if you're looking as an individual school, what's the, best, what's the best sustainable position to be in? It's hard to argue that the Big Ten wouldn't be that. And uh, you know, what does that do to the Duke North Carolina rivalry? What, who knows? I don't know the answer to any of these things, but um if you're Notre dame and uh, and you have your deal with NBC and your independence has always been important to you. Is independence worth a hundred million dollar payout per year and and the the geographic rivalries you'd have in the in the big ten? I don't know the answer to that, but I think it would be awfully difficult to turn down, given you know the way this this entertainment industry is going, and uh, it, it it's not. I don't find this unsettling. It, 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 it there are a lot of unknowns, but it's not unsettling to me because every time this has happened, uh, we we've had movement. It hasn't it hasn't diminished anything. It's been change but I, I haven't noticed a diminishment in interest. It's certainly not my interest, but we haven't seen a, a drop in ratings or anything like that. Nobody's turned, turned away from it. Everybody adjusts. It, it's, just, it's just different. And, yeah. uh, and I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to, to seeing what's gonna happen, but I'm not bothered by it.
0: No, I agree with you. You, know, you talk about these numbers. I, I'm gonna throw a number just kind of on a tangent off of this. Damian Lerner just signed a $124 million contract for two years. That's basically $62 million a year. Devin Booker signed in his fourth year of his new contract. He's going to make like $65 million. Do you, with the collective bargaining in the NBA, <clears throat> next year, there are going to be players that are going to make a million dollars a game. I, I, it's funny. I, I was talking to uh, – I'm trying to think who it was. It was a former player in Vegas. And when I put it to him that way, I I, I who it was, he looked at me and just like shook his head and said, the most Jordan ever made was 3 million.
1: Yeah. I mean, but but a million dollars a game, but Oscar Robertson probably looked at at what Jordan was making going. I can't believe that somebody's making that much money. I mean, remember when uh, in the eighties, early eighties, when magic Johnson signed a contract, a $25 million deal, it was a 25 year contract, if I remember right, for twenty five million dollars, a million dollars a year. And and people couldn't believe it, that somebody could make a million dollars a year to play basketball. And, and now, like you're saying, a million dollars a game. Um, you know, I think when you look at it historically and you go back to, to the old timers like us that, that can't imagine that, uh, you know, when I came out of college, the minimum salary in the NBA was seventy five thousand dollars. Um, you know, now I don't even know what it is now, but it's it's way higher. Um, you make that comparison game, and it's it's sort of hard to hard to imagine. One last thing on this, I want to get your opinion. I, I was uh, waiting to ask you this. So during the summer league, Scottie Pippen joined. I think it was NBA TV with Steve Smith and. And was asked about today's player. Do you think today's player is better now than players when when he played in the in, say in the '90s, '80s, and '90s? And and I thought his answer was really interesting. He said, "Absolutely, they're better now. Like the things that they're doing, the dribble moves they're making. Uh, some of these guys are, are unguardable." And um, and I, I was I thought that was really refreshing because I think it's true. I think what what Scottie Pippen said was exactly right. That the players today are better than ever it doesn't mean that Michael Jordan would not be the best player now, but he, he he very well may be, and 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 I think you can make an argument that he would be. That, that's different than the players now are better than ever. Uh, because I, I think they are. What, what, what did you think of that? And what's your view? Of that? I think
0: in, I, I, look individually, the players are better. There's no doubt about it. They, I mean, the skill set of the individual players uh, are better. The mm-hmm. rules enhance their ability to do a lot of those things as well. I mean, because obviously there's so much greater freedom of movement. So now, you, you know, the more creative you are, obviously it's just, it's almost impossible to keep a really good player out of the lane. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. The game is, to- it's a totally different game. I mean, the the, the game of the, of basketball, the NBA game of basketball is a totally different game. There's no legitimate post players. It's mostly five out. It's more spread ball screens. Your bigs are away from the basket. The court is wide open. It's not cluttered with two bigs. It's a totally different game. The players individually are better. Uh, do the, Does the ball get stuck more? Yeah, it gets stuck more because you have the best players that are going to make plays, and you're going to have those dudes in the corner waiting to shoot it or drive a closeout. It's a simpler, more creative individual game. And the players are more, they're bigger, stronger, faster, and more skilled. The game itself uh, is different because of the way the game is officiated. I mean, like you think about the Pistons and the Bulls and the old Nick Steams and really Pat Riley's. Old uh, Knicks teams that were so damn physical. Uh, I I would say that I would I would love to find a little bit more balance of more teams that play like the Warriors, more teams that play like the Suns, where there's more people people movement and ball movement. But yeah, the players are more skilled. There's not even it's not even close, and and they're allowed to do more.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Like if, if if you had, you know, people would say, okay, you take the the present day warriors and you play against Jordan's bulls from the nineties, you know, the three Bulls. uh, you know, the big question for me is who would some of those bulls guard, you know, who would Bill Cartwright guard, you know, who would Charles Oakley guard, you know, some of these guys. Um, because, because as you're pointing out the game's so different, uh, I, I, I think it would be really interesting because I think the game now is better than ever. And, and I think the ball movement actually is better than ever now. Um There may be some teams that that don't move it, but there are more passes per possession now in an n b a game than there were in the nineties when it was more of an isolation game and the 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 one thing when people talk about physicality um the game was more physical back in the nineties than it is now um but but one of the things that that I think many people miss is back then there weren't flagrant fouls so so it it may not have been you know crazy physical uh in in play there the difference may not be as stark as people think but the one of the big differences is there weren't like fouls fouls back then so when you fouled somebody you put them into the wood they're not allowed to do that anymore and i think that's that's smart given how valuable these players are and what valuable assets they've become Um, but you take that away and how different really is the game i'm not sure it's it's all that different um you know because steve kerr i think has one of the best perspectives on this when 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 some people who i think are way off base would say "Oh, steph curry couldn't you know that little body couldn't handle the 90s you know steve kind of scoffs at that saying i played in the 90s you know i played for the bulls in the 90s like he played in the league and, and steve was not a, a weight lifting you know behemoth um so i'm not i'm not moved by that uh, i just find it interesting in basketball that. You know, somehow we think the game was better years ago, and the players were better years ago. Uh, and every other game, you don't hear that. At least I don't. Um, I, I thought that was interesting. I was refreshed Jack. by Pippen. What's that? And
0: I, I I listened to that interview, I, but there are players back in the day like you weren't going to be up to guard if Jordan played in you know, the the way the game's officiated now. It'd be a joke.
1: It'd be a, it was joke. a joke
0: then. Yeah, I know. And it would be even a bigger joke because he wouldn't have people hanging all over him. His own room was different. I mean, if Julius Serving back in the day, you know, even like I, I saw Julius Serving play every single game he played for the, for the Nets. I grew up one town over. My mom's company got tickets. No one wanted him. So we would go all the time. <clears throat> I mean, they would just beat the shit out of him. I mean, every single play and he'd do his thing. I mean, there there, there are certain players that would translate, but. The game is different. The freedom of movement changed it. I agree with you. The flagrant foul uh, when you when you got fouled in the NBA back in the day, it was a foul. I mean, it was. I mean, they wanted to take the guy, but it didn't happen every play. It didn't happen every. But play. The same thing just, in
1: college, like, and you and I have talked about this, like in college. So people go back to the to Georgetown in the eighties with Patrick Ewing and Michael Jackson, uh, Reggie Williams, David Wingate, you know, uh, Michael Graham those players and talk about how physical it was. You go back and watch the tape. They were five feet away from, from guys. They, they would trap their traps were not body to body on somebody. Cause that was a foul back then. The game was called close, but there were no flagrant fouls. And so when they fouled somebody and that went through the whole big East, when they fouled somebody, man, it was violent uh, because you weren't, you know, you, you weren't punished for, there was no sanction for a flagrant foul. They wouldn't have done that stuff now. I mean, you go back and watch the Villanova Georgetown game in the '85 championship uh, at Rupp Arena, and and it, it's stunning, like how the lack of physicality on on screening, uh, you know, body to body contact, uh, cutters, all that stuff. It, in a, in a way, you could argue it was it was less physical back then. But the flagrant fouling made it seem like it was uh, it was a this brutal contest, and I guess in the flagrant foul contest it, it was. It,
0: it, it, it was. I coached in the Big East in those years, and I, I can tell you two things about it. Number one is the league was so physical when it came to flagrant fouls. Is that Coach Gavitt originally had it where after every game both teams were going to have a meal together. And then the visiting team would fly, you know, fly out. Actually, back then, it wouldn't fly out. They'd stay overnight and then leave the next day. And every single, the first, like, two weeks of the season, there was a crazy flavored foul that almost ended up in an eruption in a fight. And then I, I think it was Georgetown or someone, basically, you know, Coach Thompson said, screw this. I don't want to use those blank blanks. Uh, and because the game, every single game had an incident. You know, it wasn't continually throughout the game. But every single game had whether it was Patrick would block, shot and throw a guy down, or, you know, our pit team, we were we were really vis- physical. Uh, you know, the league across the board, you know, Rick Pitino's teams was pressing and they they fouled every play. They would just redefine a foul, their pressure in the backcourt. Uh, but there would be one blow-up play a game or two blow up plays a game that would raise the hair on every you know, the back of everyone's neck and uh it be, it became very contentious in terms of uh you know, St. John's had the issue with Georgetown. Uh, the coaches, the coaches were physical back then in the Big East. I remember Coach Carter second and 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 coach Thompson went at, at each other one time. Uh, you know, I mean Cal had his thing you know at the Big East, it was with, with Temple. It 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 was it was just and then Raph was everyone's friend. Uh, but it it was just it was a it was a it was a Kid, why are you so upset? Let's go. You're beating this by (laughs)
1: forty. You want some work uh, against the zone?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but no, I agree. I agree with you. Look, the players are are, the things the players can do right now. I I watch all these Instagram tapes now. Some of them I think are ridiculous because they, you know, they're N one mixtapes getting guys to do you know stuff that you know good players are going to go boop boop and beat their man. I mean these these Instagram. Uh, ball handling drill tapes are are insane uh they're fun but they're not realistic so but but the creativity of players today it's it's an it's an incredible and and steph curry changed the game because there's not a coach in the country when you know the shots that are shot right now 10 years ago every single coach would lose their mind on the shots that are taken now wouldn't
1: you agree until they go in and then they yeah, go okay, great job.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's go. Get back on defense. Let's go. Let's play. <clears throat> no, well, let's I watched. Go. I watched
1: what? you. I watched you on the summer league, and uh, and one great job. But the second, a lot of bald heads in the summer league, man. must oh, yeah. in Vegas. There must have been a lot of sunscreen.
0: Uh, there were a lot of chrome domes. There's no doubt. We had. <laughs> now, hey, now you're going to get us Jerry Stackhouse. Uh, on on the podcast, is that true? Yeah,
1: we got Jerry Jerry Stackhouse, head coach of Vanderbilt, and and head being the key because another member of the bald brotherhood. Uh, yeah, I think I think we're I think bald men on campus we, we ought to stay in our lane and just we we ought to exhaust all the bald options with coaches and then we'll go to the to the ones that have hair up top. Uh, they they're, they need to be further down the line. I, I've had enough of Jay Wright and uh, and all these beautifully clothed coaches. Uh, I want to go. I want to go with the gritty bald guys uh, that uh, that have had uh, had some work done up top. Had some some landscaping, uh, some manscaping uh, up top.
0: This is your next. This is your next. This is your next Instagram post. The ten best bald heads in college basketball. I'd be mean, very That's disappointed at all. I, I can I get a little yeah like, you know Seth Greenberg said this is the first time he actually gave me that's a, good a idea. Good call
1: <laughs> that, that that's that's a done deal. we're doing that yeah so
0: uh you're in a beautiful southern California for a while
1: I am here until the end of July, and then oh, auburn i don't know if you've heard this but you're I'm going to israel this, right Auburn's going to israel and uh and I'm going to go with them um so, the, I guess where ESPN is going to put the games on on TV. I'm not sure exactly which platform yet. I'll find that out. But uh, I have never been, and I cannot wait. Um, I, every friend I've had, including you, has told me, you know before you croak, you need to go to israel. Yes. and uh, and when i when I looked at the itinerary, there's no way that uh, that my wife and I could put an itinerary like that together for ourselves. Yeah. And uh, and as excited I am uh, to see Auburn play and to play against the competition against those pro teams in Israel, I'm more excited about uh, seeing the history and and the culture uh, of of that that country in that so area. It's an ama- um, It's
0: an ama- he, I guarantee you, Bruce basically took the a very similar itinerary that that we had when we went to do the Mac- Maccabi games because the Maccabi games were just a, it was a lesson in. Survival it was a lesson in uh, a country that's found its way to stay alive, and the history there is just—it's it really, it really is an incredible, an incredible uh, experience. It, it is a little—you <clears throat> know—you pull into that airport, and your plane will be surrounded by soldiers. I mean that. Yeah, I'm used to see, that. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. You need you need you need you need security. There's no doubt about it. Uh, are you doing the SPS?
1: No, I can't. I have to be back east for a couple of days. Uh, I had something scheduled uh, back east, so I'm, I'm gonna miss that, and miss, uh, uh, sadly, miss Dick Vitale getting Funks the uh, the Perseverance Award. Um, but I'll, I'll certainly be watching it, but, but I'm yeah. sorry I'll have to miss that.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, enjoy Southern California. Karen's there right now. She's coming home tomorrow with her mom. Her mom's moving here to beautiful, sunny, balmy Avon, Connecticut, so uh but uh enjoy socal uh, i'm sure you'll have a m- magnificent time There's not a bad day the, the weathermen in southern california are comedians because the weather never changes
1: 75 degrees every day by the water it has been fantastic i can't wait to to keep going yeah
0: we're going there at the end of september can't wait. all right man
1: enjoy all right, brother